evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. North Carolina Central University School of Law, which graduated its first class in 1943, is one of the most diverse law schools in the country. The mission of NCCU School of Law is to provide high-quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable legal education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. NCCU Law has, throughout its history, produced lawyers, judges, legislators, and public servants who fully embrace the mission of the institution. A few of our notable graduates include U.S. Congressman G.K. Butterfield, North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan, North Carolina Court of Appeals Judge Wanda Bryant, retired North Carolina General Assembly House Member Mickey Mishaw, and the current North Carolina General Assembly Senator Jay Chaudhry. And there are many more NCCU Law alums whose names you may not immediately recognize who are living the mission and using the legal training they received in NCCU Law to serve the community. One such alum and our guest on this evening's show is Dr. Ya Liu. Ya graduated from NCCU Law in 2018. She is a lecturing fellow at Duke Law School, where she has taught since 2012. And on October 8th of this year, during the Town of Cary municipal election, Y'all was elected to the Cary Town Council. She is the first Asian American elected to the Town Council. Y'all, thank you for being a guest on our show. Thank you so much for having me, Professor. <laughs> so you were a student of mine in my, my con law class. Yes, I enjoyed your class very, very much. And I thoroughly enjoyed having you as a student. And I will tell you, one of the joys of doing this radio show is having alums come back and having them be able to uh, share their successes. It just does my heart, and I know Professor Joyner's heart, um, much good, much good. It's a, a special pleasure having you on this show. Pleasure is all mine. So I want to first start by asking you about your background. So what led you to settle in North Carolina? And, um, yeah, tell us about your early time here in the state. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I came to the United States in 2003, um, right after college to pursue my graduate studies in sociology. Then I transferred to um, Georgia State to pursue my PhD in sociology. So that's what brought me to North Carolina. Uh, I got my PhD in sociology from NC State. Um, then I started working at Duke Law School. All right, and so tell us about your, your, your degree. What was your area of focus and wh how did that lead you to starting to teach at Duke? Um, my PhD in sociology that uh, during my time at uh, NC State that I primarily studied family sociology and gerontology. So my areas of interest have been primarily in aging. Um, so I care a lot about uh, issues related to the seniors, health care, um, the health outcomes, um, and uh, the factors that influence people's health. 
And so you decided at some point to go to law school. So you had already earned your PhD. You were already teaching yeah. at Duke. So what led you to decide to get a law degree? Yeah, so I got my job at Duke Law School from my quantitative background from sociology and NC State. So that wasn't related to my legal background. So it's a sort of interesting experience that I got into Duke Law School without any legal background. Um, but my job, and my day-to-day job, that I was able to use my quantitative skills to conduct empirical legal research at Duke. Um, at some point, I figured, you know, everybody else had a law degree. And, um, and then to further my understanding of the law, I decided to uh, take a you know, leap of faith and decided to pursue another degree. By the time when I got my PhD, I thought, oh, my. So that was the end of the road for me, that finally I don't need to take any more exams, no more coursework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done. Um, but then I figured I really wanted to, you know, further my, um, my knowledge in the legal field. So I decided to go to um, the law school. Unfortunately, and I, I feel incredibly lucky that there is a program um, uh, at NC Central which really fit my schedule because um, at the stage of my career, um, I, I had two kids um, at the time that there was n- not possible. It, it was just simply not possible for me to um, stop working and then get a, another degree. Um, but Luckily, um, NC Central has an evening program that allows working professionals to take advantage of the opportunities that I was able to work towards my law degree while working full-time at Duke. Let me, uh, Dr. Lutain, first of all, congratulations on uh, your election uh, to the uh, town council. Thank you. Uh, here in, uh, in, in Cary. Uh, but I uh, want to just, because uh, I was intrigued, uh, that you got your uh, Ph.D. in uh, gerontology, uh, dealing with uh, uh, old people uh, <laughs> like uh, us, uh, and a goal that many people have is to uh, get old. Uh, what sparked your interest in uh, gerontology and the uh, uh, study of, uh, of aging? Um, so my uh, grandmother um, had a stroke um, in her 50s, um, the year when I was born. Uh, and my parents were primary caregivers um, for my grandmother for over 30 years. And my grandmother and I lived in the same room um, right before I, until I think before I went to college. So that just had a profound influence on me and how I lo- looked at things. Um, that I know the struggles um, the family have to deal with when they care for a family member with disability, with a lifetime, really, disability that, mm, you know, when you think of a family member uh, who's paralyzed and, you know, you can't really take long vacations, right? You have to always come home early and you don't get to, um, you know, spend a lot of time with your friends to hang out, right? So, and I just really felt that was just, so much work um, and so much pressure that placed on family. And, and I just have always interested in studying what factors can be um, help, can, can, can help 
families to deal with uh, caregiving better and can alleviate the pressures that's placed on the families to care for our family members with disability. That's, uh, and, and of course, that is uh, a, a big issue that uh, we face uh, in, uh, in this country and particularly in, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, that uh, so I appreciate uh, the uh, the interest uh, that uh, that you had uh, in it, and then uh, your marriage of uh, that uh, level of uh, concern uh, with the law, and uh, so we we appreciate the fact that uh, you uh, were able to take advantage of the evening program at North Carolina Central. Uh, to uh, engage in your uh, legal studies. But can you kind of describe uh, for us for a few minutes some of the, uh, uh, I guess, the the ups and the downs of uh, your uh, tenure as a uh, student in a four-year program uh, at the the law school? Uh, Let me make a minor correction. I did, I completed my degree in three years. So I, th- that's an accomplishment I'm very proud oh, of. That, I complete- that is, that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took extra classes in the summertime, and um, so I really just took on more co- coursework that I could do. And Professor Dawson's class, and I was trying to fit in your class. That mm-hmm. was a class that w- I was supposed to take in my fourth year, so I was really taking extra class in my second mm-hmm. and third year mm-hmm. to complete that. And that class was during the day, which meant you had to leave work, come to the school to take that particular class. Whereas if you had just taken it in the in the normal fourth year for the evening group, you would have been able to take it in the evening. So you were, yes, definitely incredibly amb- ambitious. And, uh, yeah, you should be uh, applauded for being able to accomplish, you know, the evening program schedule in three years, working full time and also being a working mother so uh, while let's see when you when you came you had two how many children do you have now I have three yeah. so I had um, my third mm-hmm. <laughs> child during law school <laughs> so that's crazy I was able to take some time off work uh, thanks to Duke University and so um, I was able to complete my studies uh, within three years. Yeah, that's amazing. Very impressive. So, so you know, getting back to uh, Irv's question about your experience in law school, uh, what advice would you give to someone who might be interested in going to law school, uh, maybe even in the evening program or just generally? The law, um, the law school at NC Central definitely has opened my eyes um, in a way that's like completely transforming to me. Um, that I just gained so much I mean, I've grown so much uh, through my experience as a law student at NC Central when I used to think about a law it's actually a funny experience that my dad always wanted to wanted me to become a lawyer growing up but I just told him it's not for me because my personality you know I'm sort of a very easygoing person and I can see myself arguing get infrontational, you know, not in a mean way, but just mm-hmm. like arguing and being tough. And I, I just, that's just not me. So I turned down and it, he really was very disappointed, actually, when I applied for college. That's, that was the degree that he, um, he really, that's the path that he wanted me to go on. So I didn't think back, back then that was 
you know, um, a career for me. But you know what? Um, I I learned through my experience at Central, right? So, so it's law, it's actually not just, there are many areas of law. Um, it's not just you have to be in courthouse doing litigations, uh, being a tough lawyer, right? So there are areas of law that may be interest to you, um, transaction lawyer, immigration, immigration law, um, real estate law, um, all the areas of law that you feel um, that may be of interest to you. And I really encourage you and don't think law is really intimidating. And, you know, you think these lawyers are very smart and polished. Um, and they are. Um, my <laughs> law professors are all very smart. Um, but it's really just understanding the issues, care about your community. And I think law provides a tremendous tool that allow you to help people in need. Um, you can, many lawyers do pro bono work. So community service and public service is a big part of that. If this is for you, I would encourage you to consider a career in law and to consider um, a law degree at Central. And Central is just a wonderful program. And we've had so many judges and lawyers that give our time and services to our community, not just in North Carolina, to many states in our country. Can you talk a little bit uh, about the, uh, the marriage between law and gerontology? And uh, because that's an area uh, that a lot of people don't really focus on, that there is, uh, uh, there is law uh, available that uh, protects the uh, right uh, rights of uh, the aging population. Mm -hmm. And uh, so have you been able to uh, uh, develop the marriage between uh, the two systems? Was your uh, major area of study going through your sociolog sociological uh, education? Mm -hmm. So a big part of my uh, sociological work and gerontological work and that I have been focusing on studying the social economic disparities across um, uh, different groups uh, among seniors, right? So think about what what are the predictors for health outcomes, and you would come to learn that when you come from a certain social class, and you will actually not only have many advantages in terms of education, in terms of opportunities for your career. And it has a profound influence on your health. So early disadvantages in socioeconomic status would actually lead to a worse health outcome and a higher chance of having a disability and a chronic disease at a much younger age and has just overall worse health outcomes. So that makes you aware of um, the social economic disparities in our society. But in law, and we actually focus on the policy implications, what we can do at a society level, you know, how we can make policies to implement what we learn in research uh, to help the vulnerable people um, among seniors. And um, we can use law as the tool to advocate those seniors who need the resources in our community to help um, them to better um, live a better life. Well, I know that, and I raised that question in light of the, uh, your, uh, and I know we're going to get to this uh, a little later in our discussion, 
But uh, in terms of your uh, campaign for town council, mm-hmm. uh, hearing Carrie that that was one of the mm-hmm. policy issues mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you uh, uh, that you presented uh, for people as uh, asking for their support uh, in uh, being elected to uh, to the town to town council. Uh, so, what kind of policy initiatives? Uh, do you uh, envision growing out of uh, your uh, study uh, in, in, in aging and your uh, legal uh, background? And, and uh, Dr. Liu, before you answer that question, we're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking with Dr. Ya Lu, who is a member of the NCCU Law Class of 2018, and she was recently elected to the Cary Town Council. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We hope you stay with us. I'm Nastasia Harris, a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Virtual Justice Spotlight. The Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons and property against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. This means that, presumably, a person has a reasonable expectation of privacy in their person or property, and searches and seizures by the police must be reasonable to be valid under the Fourth Amendment. What is reasonable under the Fourth Amendment depends on the circumstances. For example, certain searches and seizures are considered to be reasonable only if the government has first obtained a warrant, while other searches and seizures are reasonable without a warrant. However, a person does not have a reasonable expectation of privacy if he exposes something to the public to see, such as conversations held in public, property viewed with the naked eye in a vehicle, or open blinds in a home. Virtual justice at the NCCU School of Law is the intersection of technology and the legal clinical program. On another note, it's our Fall Fest membership drive here at WNCU. Thank you to donors who have contributed during this important fall membership drive. Listener contributions gives WNCU the resources needed to continue to play wonderful jazz programming. If you still haven't made your pledge of support, we're asking you to do it now, especially today. You make the difference. Pledge online at WNCU.org. I'm Nastasia Harris. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with a 2018 NCCU Law graduate, Dr. Ya Lu, and we are incredibly proud of her. She has been elected to serve on the Cary Town Council. She is, in addition to being a lawyer, she is also a faculty member at Duke Law School. And uh, Dr. Liu, right before the break, Professor Joyner had asked you a question about part of your policy platform involving issues surrounding the aging. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what your platform was and, and what it was that you were communicating to your constituents? Yeah, it's a, a platform that distinguishes me from other candidates. And I do think that's an issue 
that um, people care a lot about. Uh, in Cary, we add about 5,000 seniors every year uh, to our town. Um, and with the population growth in senior po- population, and but the town was not set up that way. The town has grown not only in population overall, but also especially uh, in senior population size. And our town is just not equipped to deal with such a growing um, senior population with um, the health care resources, with, ho- with housing uh, options. And I just really felt that um, we need um, policymakers who care about the senior issue and who can be the advocate, who are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about um, the needs of seniors to make the decisions. So can I ask you, the, you said the, the senior population is growing. Now, is it growing because you've got seniors who are moving into the area or you have residents who are reaching that, that age or maybe a combination of both? It's both. You do know North Carolina is one of the most popular places for people to move into, especially when seniors, um, when they uh, get older, they do, especially people from the north, right? They want to move to somewhere warm. And North Carolina is a half-back state and they can't deal with the weather in Florida so they move back and North Carolina is one of their favorite places so we do have um, uh, some seniors who move from out of state to our uh, state to our town Um, but the most important reason that um, that has caused population growth in seniors it's because we are um, growing older as a population and because the technology, the advances in medicine that have allowed people to um, have longer life expectancies and people live longer, um, but you have to deal with um, living longer with um, the baggage of battling with chronic diseases, right? So we, and a long time ago when people have heart um problems and people would die at a young age but now with medication and people can live with a chronic disease for a long long time um, and that's a blessing but also that has you know put pl- tremendous pressure on our healthcare uh, system that you know how we can meet the demands how in a town we can provide sufficient housing for the seniors well, let me just, you know, raise you know, because you raise a very important uh, point, uh, and the, the the ability of Cary as a town, uh, or as an emerging city, uh, mm-hmm. at this uh, at this point, to make the kind of contribution to to the aging population, in the absence of a uh, stated priority or policy by the uh, North Carolina General Assembly in assisting in uh, the uh, development of programs, uh, services, uh, and other uh, protections for the uh, Asian population. So how, how do you see Kerry uh, being able to make a dent uh, in, this, uh, in this area? I think it takes some effort. I just, uh, it takes awareness of the community uh, as a whole that what we can do to help families to deal with um, family members uh, that battle with chronic disease diseases and 
especially families that battle with dementia. Um, for anyone who has a family member with dementia, you know what I'm talking about, the tremendous stress that's put on the family. Um, I think it just takes, um, you know, leaders and and our whole community to come together and to do what's necessary and what we can do to accomplish and um, to put programs and services together to support families that allow people to live independently in their community longer, um, provide the necessary resources so um, the seniors don't have to go to um, assisted living facilities and nursing homes. So we would put more resources in our community to, to support them and to support family members because um, as a researcher of um, family caregiving, I've uh, published quite uh, a few articles in that area that we need to provide support for the family members who take care of the seniors so they can do a better job. Can you talk a little bit about what that would look like? And so what what are some of the specific things that the town leadership can do to provide that additional t- support to not only the you know the seniors but also the families who are are caregiving for them? Yeah, um so we we ran a very expensive campaign and I knocked on many many doors and I talked to uh, seniors uh, in our community and there are people who have been struggling and you won't believe it and they were like you know we don't want to ask for help and people just you know they are really struggling but they don't want to ask for help but it's sometimes it can be little things right put the programs together and um have um um caregiver support group in your town to meet every month and to know about who needs the support, who needs the help, and to organize the volunteers and send these volunteers to um, to some seniors who need some help. And many seniors in our community don't have family members um, nearby. They live in another s- a state. And we, we do know that some people have to give up their career very early to that would allow them to care for their aging parents. Um, so this is an issue that's not just you know, confronted in our town, um, in our state, it's all over the country. Um, I do think uh, we need to raise people's awareness and see what we can do. And this is a constant learning experience as we gain more insights. And um, I've talked to the seniors and, and they were telling me that I make enough money. It's too much that I can't take advantage of Medicaid program. But it's too little for me to just go to a nice uh, assisted living facility to send my husband uh, to the facility we want to go. Or they can say, we want to go to a better um, a, a senior community center, um, but they can't afford. So it's really expensive. You won't believe the cost of uh, living in a assisted living facility and a nursing home. That's just financially so much for a family and most people just can't afford it and if they want to go they you know they they can't have you know their homes anymore because that will make you eligible for many programs now you you had um 
you just graduated from uh, the law school in uh, 2018. Yes. Which was just a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> um, and here it is in uh, 2019, and uh, uh, you uh, have uh, you you elevated yourself to become a member of the town council. What 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 were the factors that led you to uh, run uh, for the town council uh, in Gary? Um. So I have always been very active in the community, um, doing a lot of volunteer work, and I have been organizing many uh, cultural events, seminars, and youth forums. And this is kind of what I do and what I really enjoy doing, just bringing people together, right? So when I do a cultural event, I just think people don't have to talk about politics, you know, whether you are Republican or Democrat or Independent. You enjoy the food, the music, the art uh, at the event, right? So, So I have been doing these kind of things for a long time in the community. So I just firmly believe it's just really important to, for people to be involved in community services. Um, after I, um, went through my three years um, at NC Central, and and I credit um, a big part of my dedication to public service to my experience at Central, that my professors and um, our dean made sure that we got interactions with judges and lawyers and who have done pro bono work, who have served um, in public you know, in the public arena. So that made a, a big impact on me. Uh, in fact, Professor Dawson took our class to D.C., um, the, the, the tour, um, to tour the Supreme Court. And I we witnessed uh, how the Supreme Court justice interacted. And that had a big impact on me. And I just really felt that um, as a lawyer, and you can do more. So I have been asked by my friends uh, who know me to uh, consider running for public office, but I was like, no, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I have young kids and um, it's still early in my career to ever think about running for public office. But and I but I have always felt it's important to um, to be um active in community services. Um, so in running for public office and serving um, the public, it's just, to me, it's just a part, another form of um, community service. So it's not that different. But I just felt um, in today's politics in our country and our community is so divided. Uh, when I came in, when I talked to neighbors, and even if family members don't agree, like they would whisper to me, you know, like because their husband is, a, you know, another mm-hmm. from another party, right? So I, I just felt that um, we need more people who can talk to people from both sides, right? Republicans and Democrats. And to our country and our community doesn't have to be divided, we can come together. And because currently the politics is so polarized and people just can't even talk to each other. I just felt people who um, are sort of more centered really need to be running for public office. And that would start the conversation and bring people together. So um, I just decided I'm 
one of those people um, who want to make a difference, who want to bring people together, and who are really committed to community services, and who want to genuinely want to do some good for people. And so you, you mentioned that your friends had uh, suggested that you consider running and you pushed back on that. But uh-huh. at some point you were like, well, OK, let me. Well, was there something in particular that let you know that now was the, the right time for you to go ahead and jump into that that pool? And yeah. And my close friends really discouraged me from the idea of running for public. So why I was seriously considering running and they were like, and, you know, your kids are too young, they need you. Um, um, but I just have felt, you know, uh, that if people really, some people really firmly believe in what I can do, um, that if they think I can make a difference. And even this is not a perfect timing for me. Uh, I just I just want to give it a try. And I didn't expect myself to win the first time I ran for public office. Um, but I'm just incredibly grateful that, you know, people of Kerry in my industry D have decided to give me a chance. And I'm just incredibly thankful for their support. Um, people, I talked to so many people, and that was just such a rewarding and eye-opening experience. So I talked to many, many voters mm-hmm. <laughs> in my district. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that I recognized uh, early on about your campaign was that uh, you were a uh, an aggressive campaigner. Uh, you were out early. Uh, you were real, well publicized uh, with signs uh, going up uh, around the uh, the district uh, and uh, leaflets and other things going into uh, mailboxes of uh, people. Uh, what was it that informed your, uh, your campaign strategy, particularly in a, uh, a, a town like Cary uh-huh. that is really not that diverse? And uh, the, the, the racial diversity obviously had to be a factor in uh, your uh, campaign uh, strategy. So uh, what, what, was the kind, what was the thinking that you uh, uh, developed to help you move forward in this campaign. Thank you so much for acknowledging uh, <laughs> the efforts we've made th- uh, um, for our campaign. Um, we worked really hard, and the voters, and y- you are one of my voters, and thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, voters took a notice of that, and some people have made comments to me and my volunteers. They were saying, if she works so hard in her campaign, she, I'm, we are confident that she will work hard for our town, right? Um, and we did put a lot of efforts, and I'm just so thankful for um, my volunteers. We mobilized a large number of volunteers uh, who knocked on doors, who put our signs out there, uh, who called their neighbors, who wrote to their friends, um, and who posted on social media to spread words about a campaign. So starting out, I had a very low recognition. Running against an incumbent is an incredibly hard job, especially in Kerry. <laughs> it's just... Um, uh, and so we put our, the signs out early. The first day we could that's legally allowed to put out signs, we put them out there. Um, we put signs um, with my pictures. I think that helped a lot uh, because Yaliu is not a name that people can't tell it's a woman or, or, or a man. So uh, 
yeah, the, the yard signs and uh, um, definitely helped. It put people on notice. Especially our fi- signs were the first to be out there. That was the only signs out there. So people were like, "Who is this Yaleo person?" And they started googling and talking to their neighbors. So, and um, and our volunteers just we had like a night event, like <laughs> the sign event. I put all the signs out there. And um, we we had fun. It's uh, to me, it's not a, um, it's not that different from running like a cultural festival. It's not. It's you know getting the message out so people more know know more about this candidate, know more about the policies. Um, and that's really similar to you know how you promote your cultural event, so more people would be interested in coming. How you contact sponsors, sponsors would be you know. Um, People who donate to my campaign, right? It's <laughs> for people. Um, just it's just not that different from what I did before. All right, we're going to have to take a quick break, but you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU ninety point seven FM, and we've been talking with Dr. Ya Lu, who is a member of the NCCU Law Class of two thousand and eighteen, and she was recently elected to serve on the Cary Town Council. We'll be right back. We hope you stay with us. My name is Reginald Woods II, and I am a current 1L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And these are your weekly announcements. From November 1st through the 22nd, the 2L Class Council of the North Carolina Central University School of Law will host a holiday toy drive for children ages 3 through 12. If you wish to participate, please place new and unwrapped toys within the designated boxes near the front entrance of the law school. The Virtual Justice Project of the North Carolina Central University School of Law will host a telehealth event entitled Booze and Blues to be held on November 5th at 10.40 a.m. to 11.40 a.m at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. On November 6th at 1 o'clock p.m. to 2 o'clock p.m., Professor Shelley B. Fullwood, in partnership with the Virtual Justice Project, will host talks with North Carolina creatives about the scandals of copying in the visual arts and literary scenes. This talk will feature local creative professionals who will introduce their business to the community and discuss how copying affects their creative process and businesses. The event will be held within the North Carolina Central University School of Law Telepresence Room. For more information regarding the law school and any of its upcoming events, please refer to the NCCU School of Law website at law.nccu.edu. My name is Reginald Woods II, and this has been your weekly announcements. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with Dr. Ya Lu, who is a 2018 graduate of NCCU School of Law. She is a faculty member at Duke Law School, and she is a newly elected member of the Town of Cary Town Council. And she is also the first Asian American and actually woman of color to serve or to be elected to the Town Council. 
So, Dr. Liu, right before the break, you were talking about your campaign and the efficiency of the campaign. Had you, prior to becoming a candidate, worked on a campaign before? And and if not, how did you know how to assemble such a, a great, effective team? And so before my own campaign, I volunteered in others' campaigns, but I wasn't involved in organizing a campaign anyway. So... Um, but I did ha- have help, and we. Um, so um, I have my good friend Hong Binggu, who got elected to be the first Chinese American on the Chapel Hill Town Council two years ago. I, they ran a very successful grassroots campaign in Chapel Hill. Um, she vol- she mobilized uh, a large number of volunteers. The volunte- volunteers who don't have many experiences, you know volunteering for political campaigns, they were just passionate about electing her to be on the Chapel Hill Town Council to be the first Chinese-American councilwoman. That was their motivation. And I learned a lot from her campaign. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, a, few, a few key members of her campaign uh, came to my campaign team. And I have a key team of uh, 30 um, volunteers. Um, so we've you know, we've made this happen and as a team, not just my own effort, not at all. Right. And it, obviously your team, you mentioned the efficiency of it. You won pretty handedly and you were, as you noted, running against an incumbent. And so you were someone who didn't have that name recognition. Uh, you were running against an incumbent and it was a three-way race. And so can you talk about your margin of victory and, and what that says to you about the campaign that you won and also maybe about the evolving needs of the Cary community? Um, um, I appreciate your comments very much. Um, so I won 57.5% of the votes. And my um, incumbent opponent uh, won 36% of the votes and the other candidate um, won, I think, about 6% of the votes. So it's not just um, my victory. It's our victory together. All three candidates, we brought people out. We had a much higher turnout rate in our district than the rest of Kerry. I've always felt political participation is so important and that's one of the most important reasons for me to run is to inspire people um, especially um, members of the minority community to come out to be a part of this political process. I just have always felt that's just so important. Um, so the three of us have um, turned out voters mm, at a much higher rate than before. So four years ago, there were only 2,500 voters who voted. Um, and this is an off-year election, so it's not a presidential year. It's not a primary year that you vote for a president or a senator, right? It's the, um, that's the issue with municipal-level elections, and people don't vote. And But these positions are the positions that really matter to you. They influence your day-to-day life much more than your president. So it's really important. My, if any message you take away from this interview and I hope you vote in any election that you get because your vote will make a difference. Um, So this year there are about 6,000 voters uh, that have come out to vote for the three of us. Um, It just shows when there's an election that 
you know, you can bring people out if people feel that your message really um, makes a difference to them, and they will come out to vote. And that's just, um, and that's like I'm really thankful that so many voters, you know, have just been so passionate about our campaign, about all three candidates that they all have come out to support us, and I'm really grateful. The diversity or history of diversity uh, in uh, in Cary in terms of elected official, officials uh, who have uh, gone out and served uh, the community is not very uh, heavy, not mm-hmm. very strong. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an African-American who was on the uh, uh, town council uh, many years ago, uh, and Cary is kind of uh, unlike the neighboring uh, town of Marsville, uh, which is fast-growing and very diverse with uh, diverse uh, uh, populations. So can you just take a couple of minutes and talk about uh, the positives and negatives of you being a uh, an Asian-American or a woman of color running in uh, a campaign in a largely uh, white community? Um, I th- Thank you for the question, and that's one of the strengths that, um, that I do think we bring uh, to our town. Um, so Cary has been becoming more diverse, like the rest of uh, the RTP area, like the rest of our state. Um, over 30% of Cary residents um, are non-white, um, and actually more than 20% of Cary residents were born in the country. Um, mm. Um, but um, there is no diversity in our Kerry Town Council. Uh, it's not like you know. It's not like the minority member has have been excluded. Um, there ha- has been many reasons. Um, there haven't been many minority members who run in Kerry. Um, but I do think um, it's important for the government to be reflect of the town that it serves. So the minority members do bring a perspective, um, um, the fresh perspectives that non-minority members may not have. Uh, I do think that's a strength, um, that we can help to build our town, and we can build bridges across communities and bring people together. Um, there, as you know, in today's politics, um, there are some language, right, against certain ethnic groups um, that, you know, you don't belong in this country, you don't belong in your community, you know, what we are here to stay, and we are a part of the community, and we want to be involved in politics. I just really um, hope that my run will inspire more minority members to consider running for public office, to inspire more women um, to run for public office, to make a difference in your community. Don't be afraid. Um, don't just be afraid of trying for the first time. Um, and, and if anything, and I, I, I do hope that this would you can take away and from my campaign. Well, your journey is incredibly inspiring, and, and you no doubt will be a source of motivation for, um, for, for women, for Chinese Americans, for men and women of color. What advice would you give to someone who 
has been, um, whose interest has been sparked maybe by your story about becoming involved in politics um, to be a candidate for politics. What advice would you give them if they're thinking seriously about running for office? Um, getting more involved in your community and serving um, serving a HOA board member, uh, serving on your kids' um, PTA, right, school's PTA, um, being a coach um, for a soccer team, uh, and just do volunteer work, and like taking more efforts to learn about your community. And I think this is what motivates people to run for public office, something that's bugging them, they're not happy about. The people are not doing their job, and and you can make a difference. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room or in your community. You just need to be the person who cares most and who wants to take that effort. And I would encourage you who are out there listening to my message that um, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, you can always shine. Um, you can shine in a way that um, you don't have to be academically, um, intellectually the brightest person, but just always work hard and do what's best, do and work beyond what's necessary and what's required of you to do your job, right? So when you volunteer um, at some event and see what more, think outside the box, what can you bring in? And that may be your strengths and what you can bring a unique perspective to this event, to this activity, to this um, school, and to your neighborhood. And you can make a difference. Just believe in yourself. And I was reading a book, Why I Ran, the book, um, that's very inspiring. It, um, it has an article written by the um, uh, by Stacy, the governor candidate in Stacey Georgia. Stacy Abrams. S- uh-huh. Stacy Abrams. Uh-huh. And when she was a typewriter for a speech, and she made changes to that speech, mm. and people realized her talent. So don't just do what's normal and what's required of you to do. Always rise and work hard and go beyond what's just necessary and minimal. And you, would, um, you, you will be surprised by what can, bring, can be brought out of your potential. Now, you are a mother of three children, one of whom must be under five. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what would you share for other uh, working mothers who are juggling so many things? How is it that you're able to manage all of this? (laughs) (laughs) My kids are so happy that I don't have to be running for (laughs) a campaign anymore because my son would text me, Mom, when are you going to be home? When was out canvassing very late at night? So they are really happy about that. Um, But I do encourage young mothers to be involved. And there's a way that you can make it work, right? You can ask for help. And um, and, and I think we can, and that's one of the reasons why and I consider running because I want to show my kids, um, like, mom can do this, you know? And I want my daughter to be proud of me and say, like, for her women serving, it won't be that abnormal. So, y- you know, uh, given the progress we've made over the 
several last several decades, still a large number, you know, of um, representatives in every level of government in the big companies are still men, and I do encourage more women to consider running for public office. Um, to be, we are just as smart as men, and to make decisions for our town, to make decisions for our state. Uh, so consider. Um, uh, you, you will make it work, and you will have the support from your family, your friends, your neighbors, and you will be surprised by how many people who are willing to help. Like I will babysit for you, and you, mm -hmm. so you can go to a committee meeting. You know, I will take your son to soccer, so you can you know go to some events. So you will be surprised by how many people who are willing to help, and you can make this work. Just have faith in you and in people who support you and who love you. Mm. What did your kids say when you won? They are so excited. They said, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> yeah. They must have been incredibly proud. Yeah, they are. I did want to ask you, so you mentioned that you did a lot of cultural organizing, and so there were cultural events. Can you talk about some of the cultural events that, that you put on and, and why it was important for you to share your culture with the community? Yeah, so I have been a part of the team. I've served on um, the board of CAFA, Chinese American uh, Friendship Association. And the mission of this organization is to uh, help the members uh, to be more integrated to our larger community, to, for, uh, to promote uh, Chinese cultures and for people to learn about Chinese cultures and to um, get interested, right? And um, so I uh, um, helped to organize uh, Taste of China in Raleigh and also um, the New Year Festival Light Up uh, in Chapel Hill. Uh, it's not just me. Uh, mm -hmm. So many volunteers, a couple hundred volunteers and key members of uh, 30 to 40 people. And, I, and people... And my friends asked me, like, why are you doing this? But I just felt, you know, this is kind of the contest that people don't have to talk about politics, but you bring people in. And um, people from different backgrounds, they will appreciate a taste of, you know, good food. And they appreciate um, some dances, you know, from, from China. And um, that's how you bring people together. You don't have to talk politics. They don't need to teach. You don't. They don't need to. They don't need you to educate them, right? So, but this is the occasion that you bring people together. If you try some Chinese food, you know, you in cultural event, how would you be mad and bad mouth about people in your community? And I just felt that's important um, for our community to learn from each other, to. Um, to, to reach out um, for the minority members to reach out to the larger community for the larger community to more, know more, more about different cultures in African-American communities in Jewish communities in Chinese communities so that's how we bring people together mm. you know, I can uh, you know, certainly uh, uh, support that uh, notion I know that in this area uh, there are a lot of uh, diverse cultural events mm -hmm. uh, which occur on an ongoing basis, and mm -hmm. I think that goes a long way toward educating uh, people about uh, the differences uh, in the uh, communities and the benefits of those uh, of those differences. And people are willing uh, to uh, step out 
and provide that uh, education. And once that is done, other people are willing to step out and learn uh, with uh, with those opportunities. So that is one I think one of the riches mm-hmm. riches of uh, of this uh, of this community and to have uh, this uh, uh, diversity now. Uh, reflected on the uh, town council in Cary, and I know, for instance, in Morrisville, it is also uh, reflected uh, as uh, representatives from the uh, uh, state senate uh, from uh, this area uh, is also reflective of that kind of education uh, process. And for that, I certainly commend uh, Dr. Dr. Lou for uh, her work her effort and her uh, tenacity uh, and courage in uh, running uh, for uh, for this office. Thank you. So, Dr. Lou, your term begins then in in January? Uh, in December. December in de- 12th. Okay, so yeah. December 12th, you will be tying up your shoes and, and getting to work. Not that you haven't been working this whole entire campaign period, but a different type of work. So what are you most excited about in terms of starting that job? Um, everything is entirely new. I'm so excited. Um, I have been meeting with all other council members and our town manager and staff members at the, uh, and they have been educating me and guiding me through this transition period and teaching me everything I need to learn. Um, so everyone has g- been giving me very valuable advice. Cary Town Council has been an incredibly effective uh, council for a long time. And Cary is uh, the, one of the most wonderful places to live um, in the country. I'm just incredibly thankful for this opportunity to be joining them, to learn from their wisdom, um, and, ho- and see how they govern and grow as a councilwoman and grow as a community leader. I'm just... Uh, so excited that I get this opportunity to know and um, make an inf- make an impact, uh, make a difference for our community in a way that I couldn't before. Um, it just make a difference. And um, I was doing research, so what I uh, did was understand the issue and what propose uh, policies that can be implemented by our government. But now I will be in, you know, in the thick of it and be involved in the decision making in our town. And I'm just really excited. And we are so excited for you as well and incredibly proud. Thank you so much for spending your time with us this evening. This has been a great interview. And without a doubt, your inspirational story is going to motivate many folks out there who are listening to this. Thank you so, so much for having me. So Dr. Ya Lu, who is the recently elected member for District D of the Cary Town Council and a proud graduate of NCCU School of Law, class of 2018, and also a faculty member at Duke Law School. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We are sure you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And we're happy to announce that you can now find the show on iTunes in podcast form. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.